Can I encourage you to uh, keep your Bibles open, but we'll just pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that's found in the Bible. We thank you for this letter of Hebrews. And we pray that tonight your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us. Take my words so that uh, they might be used for your glory. Amen. Well, the, uh, t- if, Thomas, thank you. the title for tonight's uh, sermon is Don't Lose Heart. It could be summarised up with this statement. Don't give up too soon. Don't relax before the tape. Don't collapse until the winning post is part. Stay on your feet until you get to the end. Now, uh, we encourage uh, congregational participation in our in our services. So I'm going to ask you to put your hands up. Would you put your hands up, please, if you were present last week when Alan spoke to us from Hebrews 11? Mm, It's about two-thirds, I suppose, which isn't bad. That's not bad. Well, we're going to just uh, carry on from that. Alan last week spoke concerning the nature of faith from the examples given of the saints of old in chapter 11. If you look in your Bible, uh, you should be on page 1210. And if you look back to uh, uh, chapter 11 through um, from about uh, 32 onwards, you will see an account of uh, saints of old who lived by faith and who were... Uh, whose lives were anything but easy. And uh, Alan spoke of the matter of faith uh, and whether faith matters because of success or failure in our lives. And he left us with two thoughts. As Christians, am I right to consider more risk-taking in my life and do we have to suffer extremely in our lives because We are people of faith. He left us with these uh, two quotes, if you were with us, uh, seen on the screen. And the one that really challenged me was, is what you are living for worth Christ dying for? And I found that a really challenging uh, question during this week. And uh, the passage in front of us tonight carries on from that, really, because it's a warning, but it's also an encouragement concerning the practical Christian life we are to lead. Now, the document that we call the Letters to the Hebrews was written to Jewish people who were considering the claims of Christ and struggling somewhat with their new faith in Jesus Christ. They'd been followers of the Jewish faith as given in the Old Testament and their society. But recently they'd turned to Jesus as their living saviour. And so in chapter 12 we have the encouragement and exhortation for daily Christian living. If you look at verses 1 to 13 that we've just had read to us, look at all the active words there are in this passage. Strip off, run the race, enduring, discipline, marking out straight passage. This passage is an active 
working passage. So how are the followers of Jesus to live their practical lives? And how should we in 2012? Well, the author uses the metaphor, doesn't he, of the athletic race running the race to illustrate the course of Christian discipleship. What, we, uh, what we, uh, we've seen, of course, recently in the last few weeks, many athletic races in the uh, Olympics. And we, well, but what we tend to see in the Olympics, we saw the end event of the competition, that, that end race, that final race. But what we don't see is the months of hard work, the running of miles in the rain, the work in the gym. No, all that we see is the end product of the race and who actually wins it. Well, tonight, we need to see not just the end product of a life of faith, but all the work that goes into it. Using the images of the athletics race, we qualify for that race, we start our race, by coming to faith in the death of Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. That's the beginning. That's the gospel of grace. And we can only come to that saving relationship through the action of Jesus' death on the cross for the punishment of our sins. There's nothing, of course, that we can do to earn the acceptance of God. But that's just the beginning. And that's what we've come to, uh, to ex- experience in our communion tonight. But that's just the beginning of our spiritual walk. The writer starts with a statement in verse 1, therefore, returning back to chapter 11. Now in chapter 11 we read that there's a whole group of saints who are witnesses to our lives. We're not our own. We can be encouraged by that. Last week, Alan asked people, members of the congregation, of people who had inspired them to their faith. And these people were saints of the faith. And you may well have people that you knew who were examples to you of people of faith. They are your witnesses. They are like those of old. So we have witnesses. But the writer then goes on to warn us and to encourage us. Look at verses 1 and 2. There are things, he says, that distract us. Things that hinder us becoming more like Jesus. Remember, the aim of our lives, if we're following Jesus, is to become more like him. So the writer warns us of what what causes the problem, what he calls weighing us down, what he calls sin. Now, I took this picture from a very old book called Pilgrim's Progress, but it's a wonderful image of the baggage of sin weighing us down. Now, the definition of sin, of course, is something that separates us from God, breaking God's instruction. So returning to the metaphor of the athletics race, what he's saying here is the athletes have qualified the race, they can run the race, but they have to learn what will help them to run fast. And you can see on the screen how thin and slight are the clothes that weigh them down. They have learnt to shed the things that will stop them running fast. And so the athletes make sure that everything will work to help them achieve the best they can. 
And we need to recognise this, don't we? That it's the same for our Christian race today. And so this passage in front of us gives us action points on how to run this race as a follower of Jesus. So what sort of God are we following? Well, we read in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, that we read our, holy God, our God is a holy God that cannot, cannot tolerate sin of any kind, however trivial. So the writer states here, he says, actively throw off everything that stops holy living. And this is practical living. This is instructions that will affect their practical daily behaviour. Please forgive me if I get a bit personal here. Because if we're followers of Jesus, this means that we can't live just as we like. We can't live as our society and culture does. Because instead of being self being the centre, Jesus and God's ways must take that place. So practically... This will affect how we live. It will affect our relationships, our friendships. It will affect our sexual activities, the use of time and money, the choices and priorities that we have in life. And this may well affect you if you've been brought up in a Christian home and then left to go to work or to go to college. Suddenly you find that you have the freedom to live as you like. Well, the the writer here encourages us to throw off all that hinders us being holy, all the sins that entrap us. Now, of course, we know that we are imperfect and sin, and we do sin before God. So can I recommend that we keep short accounts with God, that we take time of regular times of confession, because this will draw us closer to him. So in verse 1 then, we have the command to strip off everything that stops and hinders our growth to becoming more like Jesus, to become holy. But how are we to run this race? How are we to run this race? Well, we're to run this race with endurance, keeping on going even when life gets hard. Sorry, I've missed one out even when life is hard. We've got to keep on going, not giving up when life becomes hard. As Jesus warned his followers, there will be difficulties in life. Remember, Jesus stated to his followers that they must be willing to take up their crosses as he did. And these young Jewish Christians who had come out of the Jewish religion had found that their new life to be hard. They had suffered persecution within their families, as well as at the community level. So the writer encourages them, keep on going. And to help them and us in this, he suggests in verse 2, how can they do it? They can do it by fixing our eyes upon Jesus, who had endured to his death on the cross. Now that word, fix, means to deliberately set aside time and to concentrate in stillness, with determination and with commitment, implying a deep longing to know him, coupled with a genuine willingness to devote time to him alone. Keeping our attention upon him, despite the distractions along the way. Keeping our eyes straight ahead, 
because there will be many distractions that come from material possessions, that come from our culture, from entertainment, from sport, from relationships, from even careers. They can all be distractions from keeping our eyes upon Jesus. So how then can we keep our eyes upon Jesus? Well, can I suggest to us tonight there are three ways that we can practically do this. Firstly, we can do it by recalling Jesus' words and actions in the New Testament. And I've found that the more time we spend in Jesus' presence through the reading, the accounts in the Gospels, the more alive he will come to us. The more we store up his words in our minds and thoughts, the more help they will be when temptation comes. And of course, we know, don't we, that temptations will come to each one of us. But we can help to prevent these by what we choose to read and watch, being aware of where temptation is a real problem for us. Some people are tempted by the desires for material possessions. They're materialistic and shopping can be a real issue. For others, it's sexual temptations, maybe through things like the use of the pornography on the internet. There are frightening statistics about the number of Christian men who apparently log on to pornographic sites. For others, it may be pride or it may be uh, judgmental attitudes. Whatever it is for us, whatever our temptations are, in verse 2, the writer commends to us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus and his teaching. And of course, we are promised in the Bible through that the Holy Spirit will help us when temptations do come. And we're helped by our faith as well. In 1 John 3, we read, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Faith, remember, is what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. And as we concentrate upon Jesus, we learn that he is indeed the author and perfecter of our faith. So our faith in Jesus as the Son of God, who died for our sins, can strengthen us in the daily struggle with sin. But recalling and meditating on Jesus' action and words will help us. So the first way then we can keep our eyes upon Jesus is by recalling his words and actions. But secondly, in verse five, verses 5 to 11, we can do it by recalling God's care as a father and his love for us and the way he treats us as sons when hardship comes. Look at verse 5. The encouraging words God speaks to us as his children. He says this, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Being disciplined, of course, can be very unpleasant for the moment. But the good discipline brings reward in the future. Of course, there will be some who have had bad experiences of fathers and their discipline. But the ideal father is the one who loves their children enough to discipline them. Good fathers and mothers do this because they want their children to grow up to be pleasant, responsible adults who contribute to the world in which they live. Now, of course, disciplining children isn't an easy thing. It's hard work. It takes years. It can be emotionally draining. 
But I'm sure that we've all experienced the results of children who haven't been disciplined. They're often spoiled and selfish, self-centred, and they grow up into unpleasant adults. Now, a loving father and mother works hard to discipline their children. And the result of this is pleasant, well-rounded individuals who are a pleasure to be with. And this is the image that we are given here in verses 5 to 10. So when hardships come, when we have hardships in our lives, don't blame God, but accept them as a part of the discipline of discipleship. Rejoice that we have a Father who loves and cares enough for us to allow us to be disciplined so we become more like Jesus. Remember the promises of God seen in, God seen in 1 Peter 3, verse 12, which says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So secondly then, we can see God and we can see Jesus by recalling God's care for us as a father. But thirdly, by recalling God's purpose in the present and the future. Verses 10 to 13. In verses 10 to 13, the writer states that God's discipline is good for us because there's a purpose to it. God wants us to become good and holy. He longs for us to become more like his son, Jesus. And the family of the church will benefit from disciplined followers of Jesus, whose faith is strong and tried through the tests of life. And we are likely to become this when we've experienced some of the discipline of God. I've heard here, in our church, for instance, several people state that they have experienced more of the love of God and the presence of Jesus when they were going through real challenges in life, when they were ill, when in hospital, when things were going wrong for them. And Jesus appears to be with us when life is difficult, and when we haven't got the resources to cope on our own. So let us rely, let us not, let us rely that God wants us to be like his son. But that's not all we see in verses 10 to 12. That's not, that's not how we know the presence of God. But it's not just for the past, and it's not just for the present, It's for the future, because in verse 11 it says, but later on, in the future, God disciplines us for the future when Jesus will return again. In other words, through his discipline, he is getting us ready for the second coming of Jesus when he returns again. When there will be a new creation and there will be a time of judgment for all. Now, of course, some of us, or maybe all of us here, won't, see, won't uh, see Jesus return before we die. But the Bible teaches, even if this happens, when Jesus comes again, those that have died will rise again and will meet him in their resurrected bodies at the day of judgment. And that's the hope for the future. And that's the hope for the future. But the future, of course, also includes others. And it includes others so that we can help them. Look at verse 12, where the writer calls upon the followers of Jesus to take action, to strengthen their arms and feet so they can help others who are in need. 
In other words, the more we have experienced the discipline of God, the more holy we become and the more we're able to help others as Jesus would have done. We've been truly Jesus' followers here on earth. So there we have it. Three ways upon fixing our eyes upon Jesus. But going back to the analogy of the race, this is where it rather breaks down. Because in, in the analogy, there's only one winner of the race. But for us, there will be many winners. Which is import- what is important is not who crosses the finishing line first, but rather crossing the finishing line at all. And the writer here is encouraging these young Jewish Christians to keep on in the race so that they can be sure to finish the race as believing Christians. And as we come to this communion table tonight, let us remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He said this, But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Great promise, isn't it? So let us examine ourselves. Let us challenge ourselves. Are we still looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? Will we make it to the end of the race? Will our faith be strong despite the knocks of life? because there will be knocks in life, and will we be pure as Jesus is impure? It's a, it's a challenging message. It's a challenging message. There's lots for us to meditate on through this coming work. But let's go out tonight, keeping our eyes fixed upon Jesus, Jesus who died for us, Jesus who makes us, Jesus who offers us the Holy Spirit, so that we can serve him and others in this world today. Amen.